Mother's Day. I love Mother's Day. I love that our nation still sets it aside each year. I love that it's all on the Lord's Day. Because it is only fitting that we think about good and godly and virtuous mothers on a day when good and godly and virtuous mothers are thinking about their Father in Heaven. I'm thankful that I was raised by a godly mother. I'm thankful that I'm married to a godly mother. But I'm also thankful that with Mother's Day being on the Lord's Day, that we get to be together with so many who love God, who put Him first. You know, Mother's Day is a precious day. For many of us, our mothers are still living. We Maybe today we might call it precious connection. There's a lot of people here this morning who have made a drive, maybe just across town, maybe quite a number of miles in order to make that connection. For some of us, it's a day we have to connect by, by phone or FaceTime or something like that because we, we can't make that drive. It's impossible for us with the other things going on. For others, Mother's Day is a little difficult because maybe the mother is no longer living. We might call it a day of precious memories. Where they think about a, a good and godly mother and those memories just flood their soul. And it's a wonderful thing, even though it hurts in some ways. It's a wonderful thing to have that blessing of memory. And for some, Mother's Day is not as easy because maybe their mother was not what she should be. We might call it a day of precious promises, where we promise to honor what we can and promise to be all for God that we can be, no matter how we were raised. It's a precious day, no matter how we might slice it. Mother's Day is fantastic. I, I love it. And mothers have, well, mothers have their own way of talking. Have you ever noticed that? You, you can just tell a mother just, just by how she talks. And it doesn't matter how old her kids are. It doesn't matter if they're famous, if they're just normal. It, mothers, they just, they just kind of have their own way of expressing themselves. They have their own little phrases. And it makes me wonder sometimes if, if some people throughout history, if, if moms then were like moms now, well, for example, I, I just wonder, if Christopher Columbus's mom didn't say something like this, Chris, I don't care what you've discovered, you could have at least written home. I, it, it had to be that way, didn't it? Amen, that's right. Yeah. I, I wonder if, if Michelangelo's mother didn't say Mike, probably didn't call him Mike, but yeah, Mike, why can't you paint on the walls like all the other kids? Do you know how hard it is to get paint off a ceiling? I mean, even the fairy tale world. I wonder if Goldilocks's mom didn't say, I've got a bill here for a chair from the bear house. I wonder if you might know anything about that. I wonder if Thomas Edison's mother didn't look at him and say, I'm so proud of you, Tommy, for inventing the light bulb. Now, would you please turn it out and go to bed? But ultimately, I really wonder about Albert Einstein's mother. If she didn't look at him one day and say, Al... It's the day of your senior portrait. Could you at least do something about that hair today? You know, moms just have a way of talking. I'm thankful that the Bible tells us a lot about mothers. I'm thankful that the Bible honors mothers from beginning to end. And I'm thankful that scattered throughout Scripture, that while we may not have full biographies in certain places, I'm thankful that we have little pictures Just little snippets of certain lives of mothers throughout the Bible. Some good and some not so good. But most of them good. Showing us the influence that a mother has throughout the lives of so many in Scripture whom we would consider maybe more famous or more well-known. 
And I want you to turn your Bibles back to Exodus chapter 2. We read that story a few minutes ago together, that biblical account, where we're told of the little baby Moses, whom we know so very well, one of the most famous people in history, not just in Scripture, but where we are given a glimpse into his mother, Jochebed, and, and how she protected that, that baby at the very beginning or very early on in his life. And we're not going to rehash everything we talked about or that, that that account records for us, because we're really going to just take one phrase found late in that particular account and use it for a launching pad this morning. But I want you to remember simply what happens. That the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, decides he's going to put to death all the, the Hebrew baby boys. And so the, the parents decide to, to save Moses. And they make this precious little ark, this little vessel, this little raft. And they put it in the river, probably the Nile River. And it's Pharaoh's own daughter who finds the ark, the raft, and the baby inside. But you remember his sister had been seeing this and watching this. And so she goes up to Pharaoh's daughter and says, do you need someone to take care of this baby? She doesn't tell her who she's going to go get. But basically paraphrasing, Pharaoh's daughter says, yes, I I need someone to do that. And you know the story, you know the account so well that that this little girl goes and remembers, let's get the baby's mother. But I love the little phrase found in verse 9 of that text, where Pharaoh's daughter says to Moses' own physical mother, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. Now, I fully understand that Pharaoh's daughter did not realize who she was speaking to. She knew it was a, a woman of the Hebrews, She knew it was someone who could do this particular job, but she did not realize that this was Pharaoh's own, I mean, mean, Moses' own physical mother. She didn't make that connection. I also fully understand that when she said, I will give you your wages, she was simply speaking of a financial transaction. I'm going to pay you what this particular job is worth. And most scholars, by the way, suggest it was more than just nursing in a physical sense. It probably was more like being a nanny, that she was going to raise this child for several years within Pharaoh's household, but she was going to have this connection for, for quite some time. She was going to have a lot of influence. We'll talk about that in just, just a few moments. But to Pharaoh's daughter, this was just a financial transaction. But don't you know, to Jochebed, to Moses' mother, There were wages that were far greater, far deeper than any money she could have ever got. I want us to use that concept this morning of the wages that were paid to Jochebed and think this morning about a mother's wages. We might change the word to a mother's reward because we're going to use those terms one for the other. I totally lost the word. One for the other. We're going to think about what it means. What to a mother means more than any money could ever ever buy. And all of them have a place in the life of Moses as he grows up. Some things that Jochebed probably instilled within him that made him into the man that he became. For example, number one, I want you to think about the wage or the reward of time. Put yourself emotionally for a moment in the place of Jochebed. When she placed that little ark, that little raft, into the river. She was trying to save her son. But don't you know that in the back of her mind, she had to be thinking, there is a chance 
that this is the last time I ever see him. Considering what was going on in the nation of Egypt, considering what was going on at that time, there was a risk here that when she placed that raft into the river, though the, though the sister was watching out for what was happening, there was a chance that this was it. And then also consider when Miriam, the sister, comes back and tells her what is going on, as soon as Jochebed heard the name Pharaoh, don't you know her heart sank into her stomach? No matter how Miriam could have possibly began this particular telling of the story and trying to give the news, no matter what her face was like, as soon as she heard the word Pharaoh, she had to think, "Uh uh-oh. But now... Just moments, days, whatever it was later. Jochebed's holding Moses. And don't you know every moment that she was able to hold, to feed, to hug, to do whatever with Moses. Don't you know it was a gift? Don't you know it was a great reward? Don't you know she treasured every moment? With this little baby boy. Ask any mother. Whose children are now grown and gone. And no matter how much time. They spent with. Those boys or girls or. Boy or girl or whatever. Whatever they had. No matter how much time they spent with them. They will all tell you it wasn't enough. They'll all tell you how fast it flies by. I hear that all the time. I've got a ten year old and a nine year old. And I get to it. It's all going to fly by. You know. It sure does. It sure is. But you ask any mother, and that's what they'll tell you. No matter how much time they spent. Moms, if your children are still at home, you will never, ever, ever regret spending unfiltered time with your children. Sometimes just having fun. Sometimes reading a book, which can't be fun. Sometimes studying the Bible together. Sometimes just watching a movie. Sometimes having a conversation, whatever it is, you will never look back and and say, well, I sure wish I had spent less time with my kids. That's just not going to happen. There is a wage, a reward of time that Jochebed had to have treasure within her heart, considering what could have been. But what God worked out through his providence. Number two, consider the wage or the reward of training. As Moses grew, obviously, he learned so very much. He was raised in the finest schools of the time. Historians, archaeologists tell us that the schools of Pharaoh's household were the finest schools in the world at that time, especially in things like the sciences of the time, mathematics and those sorts of things. Moses would have been trained in the very best academically, especially at that time. But through it all, he never forgot who he was. And through that knowledge and through that grounding, it's clear that Moses was also trained in the ways of his people, his heritage. And I think we see that, at least in a hint, at the beginning of the account of the burning bush. Remember, this is years later. But Moses comes near to that bush, and God says to him, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And you go, that doesn't prove anything, except that God told him who he was. But if Moses had not been properly trained, he could have just shrug that off. He could have just thought, well, no, that's not really my God. That's just, I mean, this is a miracle, but this, that's not really who I am. But instead, we're told in Exodus 3 and verse 6, Moses hid his face and was afraid to look literally at Jehovah, at God. Let me ask, 
Where did Moses learn that kind of awe and respect for the very name and nature of God? Oh, we could probably find several things along the way, but it all began, did it not, in his mother's arms. That kind of training in what was most important, that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is his God too, and that you respect, you have awe for God. Moms, you have a golden opportunity to train your children in the things that are important. I think if, if we really are honest, what we spend most of our time training our children in probably is what we find deep down most important. For some, it might be academics, and that's a good thing. I, I, I want our kids to be smart and make good grades and, and all those sorts of things. And we want our kids to, to, to do all these various academic things, and that's wonderful. And a lot of moms help out with that so much in, in helping with homework or even homeschooling their children or whatever it happens to be. But is that primary? Is the academic primary? For others, maybe it's it's social graces. We want our kids to have good manners. We want them to, to be socially acceptable. And that's certainly important. We want them to have a certain way of fitting in in certain settings and all that. We don't want our kids to be socially inept and awkward. But are we just training them in those things only for the sake of acceptance or only for the sake of popularity? Yes, teach them academics. And yes, teach them social graces. But make sure. That all the training you do is grounded in the ultimate training of God. Who they are in Him. We'll talk more about that in a few moments. But it's fine to train them in academics and athletics and social skills and on and on and on it goes. But is that grounded in a training in God's Word? It's obvious from the life of Moses that he was trained in the most important of things. That everything else was grounded there. As a mother who loved the Lord, one of the wages that Jochebed had, one of the rewards she saw, was that training then being lived out as Moses grew and matured as a man. Number three is the wage or the reward of tradition. Every family has traditions. Some of them are big, some are small. Maybe some of your traditions revolve even around this day. Maybe one of your traditions is just coming home for the day or for the weekend. Or maybe it's a special meal you have at a particular holiday. Sometimes it's a family tradition that we always go to this particular place for a vacation on some, some week or whatever it is. Those are fantastic. Some are small. I don't know how old I was. I was probably close to a teenager, if not, not, not actually being a teenager yet, when our family kind of figured out that after we finished praying in a meal, which, by the way, is a tradition in and of itself, that nobody started passing the food and no one picked up a fork. Everybody reached for their glass and got a drink of something. I don't know if it's a tradition or just weird. Maybe weird. I don't know. But it became almost a running joke that at the fawn house, the first thing that goes in the mouth is, is the glass. Right? It's just little things that we pass along and that we talk about. and It's wonderful. Traditions are great. I think Moses had some traditions... In his family as well. Keep in mind. That Moses was raised in the home of Pharaoh. He was raised around all the knowledge. The wisdom of the Egyptians. But he didn't forget who he was. Because his mother taught him the traditions of his own people. Do you remember. We read Exodus 2 for our scripture. In the first 10 verses. Do you remember what account comes next? We jump forward in the life of Moses. But. It's where Moses sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave. And Moses kills the Egyptian 
And that's when Moses has to run away from Egypt, from, from Egypt to the wilderness. And we could, if we wanted to, break that apart. Should Moses have killed this person? No, I, I get all that. But there's a little phrase found in that, that account that tells us a lot about where Moses was in his life. I want you to see what's said in Exodus chapter 2 and verse 11. One day, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, notice the last phrase, one of his people. One of his people. Now, of course, Moses should not have killed this man, but we often jump in the story from the murder to now Moses is fleeing. But that little phrase, almost almost a, a tag-along phrase in verse 11, one of his people, Moses remembered who he was. And he remembered what all that entailed to be of the Hebrew people. But what that meant to, to God, what that meant to his relationship with his fellow man. He understood that. He understood the academics of the world of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. He understood the science and the math. He understood their religion. But, he, but deep down inside, he knew that's not who I am. I'm a Hebrew. And I'm not going to stand for this. And along with that comes all the tradition of the people. Of course, Scripture, following the ways of God, following the Bible, are far more important than merely following, following tradition. But there is something to be said for a child growing up in a home and his parents, his mother, instilling within that child the traditions that make that child who he or she is. They could be family traditions. They could be community traditions. They could even be national traditions. But that's part of what it means to be who you are. Don't you love sitting around and hearing the stories of your family's past? Don't you love hearing those things that have gone on maybe several generations before or maybe just a year or two ago that you just remember and that forged the, the, the quilt of the life of your family. Moms never pass an opportunity up to share those traditions, family, national, community, whatever they are, with your children. It grounds them in who they are and helps them be proud of their family name, of where they are from, and so forth. And one of the wages, one of the rewards of a mother is when a child begins to get it. When they begin to pass those traditions along to their family. Or when they start asking, are we not going to do this like we've always done it? What a wonderful blessing that is. And number four, the ultimate wage, the ultimate reward is the wage of theology and knowledge of God. This by far is the most important. And this by far undergirds everything else we have talked about. A child needs to know God. The parents play a vital role when teaching about the Lord, but a mother who shows love for God and a dedication to God has a value that can't be measured. It, it's impossible to measure that, that wisdom and that knowledge within a child. When Moses was grown, it was about time for him to return to Egypt to lead the people out of bondage. And God called to him from the burning bush. You remember that story we mentioned a few moments ago. But I think it's highly significant that when Moses asked the question, who should I say sent me? And God responds with that famous answer, I am who I am. Basically saying, the eternal one. You tell them the I am has sent you. I find it significant that Moses does not turn around and one of his questions is not, who's that? Now Moses has a lot of questions. 
And Moses has a lot of issues in what God is calling him to do at that time. But one of the questions Moses does not ask is, who is that? He knows the name of God. He understands some of it. He can't understand everything that's going on that day. That's why he has so many questions. And after all, I'd be confused too if a bush was talking to me, wouldn't you? This would not be a normal day. But when God said, I am who I am, there is no follow-up question to that. Moses has an understanding, as much as he can, in theology, in the knowledge of God. When our children grow, yes, they must stand on their own. You've heard the statement before, I'm sure, that God has no grandchildren. In other words, our children are not going to go to heaven just because I was faithful or because you were faithful as their parents. They will go to heaven or they will be lost based on their own faithfulness, their own unfaithfulness. God has no grandchildren. He only has children. We're either faithful to Him or we are not. But that being said, the environment in which a child grows plays a huge role in his or her spiritual formation. And mothers play such a vital and major part in that. Moms, please, please do all you can to build a foundation of the understanding of God and your children. There is nothing you could ever teach your children that will pay a bigger wage, pay a bigger reward than a deep and abiding love for God. You know, maybe when your children grow up, maybe you have a a certain aspiration for them. Maybe your family has always had this particular job or a job in this particular field. It sure would be nice if my son became that too or my daughter married somewhere or became that. That, That's fine. That's wonderful. Those those are good. Or maybe, maybe as your children are growing up, you think, yeah, I sure would like if they lived in this particular place. And what you really think in the back of your mind is close by because grandkids might be coming. I know. Okay, I, I get that. All right. But you have these aspirations and that's that's fantastic. But of all the things that you could wish for your children. Mom, can you honestly say, can you honestly say that the most important thing you wish for them is an abiding faithfulness in God? Can you honestly say that? If that's the case, what are you doing on a regular and a consistent basis to help instill within that child or those children a love for him, a knowledge of his word and a faith that is their own? Of course, some children grow up and they choose to leave the faith or they choose to become somewhat faithful, somewhat wishy-washy in their faith. But moms, if you can look back and realize that you did all you could to place within them a theology, a knowledge of God, then you've done what you could. But if that child grows and returns to the Lord, or if you have a child who remains faithful all through his or her life, what a reward. What a reward for a mother. Even if her children live hundreds of miles away, I told Neil Cook this is going to be hard. They are connected by their faith. Consider that about 245 miles away from here, a mother sat and quietly ate the Lord's Supper. In her heart, she knew that by faith, Her son was eating the Lord's Supper too. 
And then about 230 miles away, a daughter was also eating the Lord's Supper. As the song says, though sundered far, by faith they meet around one common mercy seat. Folks, that's the kind of thing no money could ever buy. The wage, the reward of theology, a knowledge of God that connects through the miles and connects through the years. A couple of years ago, the website salary.com ran a study. I don't know how they did it. I tried to figure it out, and I'm not smart enough, frankly. They ran a study to try to figure out what a modern mother was worth financially to a home. And, and they ran through, they listed things like, like you might think of, things like cooking and laundry and being the household financial manager and health care and laundry and on and on and on it went. The list was very, very long. And their total came to $118,905 annually to the household. They also stated in that particular survey and study that a mother who chooses to stay home and be a homemaker gives up an estimated average $1 million in salary and benefits throughout that time she chooses to remain home. Now, we could argue the numbers all we want, but folks, we all know that a mother's value is not measured in dollars or in stock options. It's not even close. But on the flip side of that, a true and a godly mother does not put her highest and only value on those kinds of things. She may or may not work outside the home, but the greatest wage, the greatest reward she ever earns is seeing her children grow up in ways that are good and right and godly. You see, to a Christian mother, she wouldn't take those million dollars in exchange for the faith of her own children. She wouldn't take $118,000 a year. She wouldn't take a million $118,000 a year to know that that little boy or that little girl one day will be safe in the arms of God. A mother all the way back in Exodus chapter 2 took a baby boy and with all the knowledge she could think of, put him in a little craft in a river. And I'm certain, though the text does not say, I'm certain she went home and prayed like she had never prayed before. That this plan that she had thought up would work. And his physical life would be saved. By the grace and the providence of God, not only was Moses' physical life saved, but Jochebed got to spend precious time with that boy And built into him one of the greatest leaders this world has ever known. He got to be safe in her arms. And she got to see what he could become. Today, thankfully, we don't live in a place where you're going to have to take children and put them in a raft and put them in a river to try to save their lives. But we live in a world that sure does not like those who are faithful to God. And moms, your work whether your children are still in your arms or whether they are grown and gone, your work is to do all you can to find them safely into the ark of safety 
the church that our Lord built. If you can say, I've done that, then moms, you've done a great job. And if you can look back and say, I've done all I could to do that, well done. That's the reward of being a faithful mother. This morning, mother, father, teenager, young person, whatever, are you in that ark of safety? Are you in that place where God places the saved, the church, His blood-bought institution, bought with the blood of His own Son, Jesus Christ? This is not about mom or dad now. It's about you and about me. It's about me making sure that I am where I need to be. And it could be the influence of a mother. It could be the influence of a father. It could be the influence of an elder, a Bible school teacher, a preacher. It could be the influence of anyone. But ultimately, it comes down to, have I become, through the grace of God, what I need to be in order to be faithful to Him? Have I followed His plan? If you can't say that this morning, this is the day to make it right. Or maybe this morning, at some point in your life, you, you were baptized, you were placed into Christ, you, you became a Christian, but you haven't been faithful, you haven't lived fully to what God would have you to be. This is the morning to make that right. To be found faithful when you leave. And to make sure the rest of your life is spent following Him faithfully each day that you live. Whatever your need is this morning, we invite you to come to the ark of safety and be found faithful as together we stand and as we sing.